the road to getting exactly where I wanted to get to was not a straightforward road. You know, I was born in South Africa and that passport is worth absolutely nothing to the rest of the world. Hey, hey, it's Ruthie Sullivan. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ruthie Podcast, where I interview everyday women to learn how they're making money, how they're showing up for life, and what's their story. Today, I'm interviewing Yolandi. She's now practicing as a midwife here in Utah. I don't want to waste any of your time in getting to meet her. Welcome today, Yolandi. And how do you say your last name? In, in English or in Afrikaans? Uh, tell us both. Well, in Afrikaans, it would be Rodmeir. But in English, I guess I'm just Raid Meyer. Raid Meyer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like the African way. Say that again. Raid Meyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Mm-hmm. So I call Yolandi YOLO. You only live once. Yep. That's how I'm known by most of the people in the world. So I respond very well to it. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today. So YOLO's a dear friend of mine and she's a midwife. And so I'm, I've, I met her several months ago and... I wanted to interview her right away. and Yeah, you barely really, you. I think you asked me three things. And then the next thing was like, I want to interview you. And I'm like, oh, what did I say? <laughs> You're a midwife. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's probably a good world. start. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about midwifery. Okay, so give us a general overview of what your profession is like as a midwife. Well, firstly, I think I need to just explain what a midwife is, since that's probably one of the most prominent questions I get is, so you're a midwife, what does that mean? Didn't know that still existed. It sounds like a medieval thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's been around. (laughs) It's probably one of the oldest professions, you know, other than being a prostitute, is that you, you babies have always been born. So they've always been people there assisting you through birth. So really a midwife in today's age is this, you know, we run the same schedule as an OB. It's just out of hospital. So you can either be a nurse midwife working in the hospital, um, whereas, you know, autonomous midwives work outside of the hospital and we're, we don't practice under a physician. So we still take mothers right through pregnancy, all their prenatal care, all their ultrasounds and, you know, blood work and all of that. And then we're on call for them when they go into labor and they get to have the person that they've known throughout their pregnancies to actually be at their birth. Whereas in the hospital, you kind of, you're just up, you have to just sort of make do with whoever's on call. Most people, I think, choose midwifery because of that continuity of care. When you are dealing with people, as far as your clientele, as well as your, you know, like the people you actually work with, Mm -hmm. partners, colleagues, you know, what... What is it like working with the different people? Maybe talk about both of those. Well, midwifery is a little bit of a rebellious um, career. You know, it's like saying to allopathic medicine and to the hospital model of birthing, be like, "Mm, no, we don't think you're doing it right. You know, and you can have your different opinions. But at the end of the day, that's why we provide these services out of hospital, because we feel like women can have a a higher success rate in having natural births if you're not in a hospital setting because it just brings a ton of intervention, which interventions are amazing when you need them. A lot of the time you don't need them, but they they you can quickly go down that road in the hospital just because you don't really know better. So the demographic that we work with is, I would say, is mainly, there's probably mainly people who are a lot more educated on the science of childbirth. I usually see that the hospital demographic as people who just hand over 
their care, to be like, hey, you know what's best. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what I'm capable of. You just tell me what I need to do, you know? So if it's like, oh, yeah, we need to do a cesarean right now, then you're like, oh, yes and amen. Whereas like the people that we have in our care, they're a lot more educated on what they're capable of, what their chances are of a natural birth, what you know, what they can handle pain-wise. And also they probably do a lot of research in terms of what are the differences in pain management between out-of-hospital and hospital. And if you're not going to opt for the epidural, like how are you going to get through this? You know, so it's it's the demographic that's a little bit more rebellious in terms of like, no, I, I, th- I, think, I think I know, I think I know, and I know what I want, and I know what I want to try. In midwifery, really, the, the what they're searching for, what our demographic is searching for, is a provider who will give you all the information and give you all the resources that you need to make your own informed decisions. And then in terms of the people that I work with, yeah, midwives are, I think, seen as rebels. If you're a good midwife, you are truly, you're, you're pra- practicing according to to science, to evidence-based. It's seen as rebellious, but yet, you know, you look at the history of the world Mm -hmm. and babies were born everywhere, but in a hospital, Mm -hmm. you know, predominantly Mm -hmm. through the history of humanity. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah. And then people will come back and say, yeah, but a lot more babies and moms died. I think one in every five births ended up in a mom or a baby death back in the day when we didn't have hospitalization, which at the end of the day, that's the beauty of having what we have, where we're at right now, because you have the option of giving what's called a trial of labor at home. If things go wrong, there's still the intervention that can save both you and baby. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is, is that a hospital really is a place for emergency, you know, because like your physiology works different in a hospital with the bright lights and people that you don't know, like your whole physiology is different. The way that you're giving birth is a very different experience in that setting compared to being in a place where you're safe, you know the people, you trust the people, you feel like you have the freedom to follow your own wisdom and sovereignty. So tell me, do you have stories of like stressful births that maybe you have had to send, you know, your patients to a hospital and then maybe ones that are super easy? Yeah. Examples of those? I mean, there are lots of those, I guess. Um, I think... In terms of easy, I mean, that's it's just easy. You know, and most births, like if you're a low-risk mom, most births are pretty straightforward. There's maybe like 20 minutes to an hour that things can get a little crunchy and everyone's in the room and like everyone has their um, the thing that they're doing. You're always on alert to know, okay, you know, where are we going with this? What do I need to look out for? But it's very seldom that we actually have to intervene with those interventions that we have. You know, we have the same medications um, as the hospital does for bleeding. We do suturing. We place IVs. We do all the same things. We just don't have medical inductions and we don't um, do cesareans and vacuum extractions. So um, easy births. Yeah. I mean, last year they were two first-time moms, which, you know, as a midwife, that's a very unheard of thing to just have a first-time mom come in and have a baby. Usually it's a two-day marathon that everyone's like, all right, what's the next meal? Um, How do we get through this? How many more coffees can we have? (laughs) And then sometimes they just come in and they have a baby before you've even like ran the bath. So when you say running a bath? Just water birth. Like most of our clients do water births. And so we don't, normally start running the bath until you're in active labor because that can slow things down so there are some of those moms who you know you haven't started running the bath yet and then they just plop a baby and Uh it's like oh okay (laughs) easy you know it's 
Yeah. And then, then there are definitely those that I haven't had one of those in a while, but you know, there's definitely the births that you need a few. You were very glad at the end of the day that you had two midwives there because you needed one on mom because either the placenta wasn't coming, bleeding was just not stopping regardless of how many medications you had given. Um, and then, you know, baby needed some help too. That's a very seldom, and I, and I and I say that because people think of birth as an emergency. It's really so seldomly an emergency. Is it is it an intense experience for the person doing it? For sure. Okay, circling back to the water birth, can you describe what a, what that means and what it's what it, it obviously involves water in mm-hmm. a birth? <laughs> it just means that women get to labor in the tub, and if they choose to, also birth in the tub. And I would say everyone who labors in the tub. I'd say 99% of our clients who labor in the tub will also have a baby in the tub. Because by the time you're in the tub, you don't want to get out of the tub. (laughs) It's kind of, they call it the out-of-hospital epidural. Now, also circling back to the schedule, you know, some people aren't familiar with the schedule of an OBGYN. But Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, births happen... 24-7. (laughs) Yeah, and I'd say that's a little bit different out of hospital because you usually work in a very small practice. You're not on a rotation. Whereas in in the hospital, you know, you have four or five OBs that could rotate. So some of them have off-call time, (laughs) regardless of what's happening in L&D, you know. They could be chaos in L&D and this guy could just be on vacation in Mexico. Right. We don't really get that. <laughs> that's that's the problem. And that's the sacrifice you give as an out-of-hospital provider because you know that your clients are expecting you to be at their birth. So we are pretty much on call 24-7. There's never really a time that you can shower without your phone. Oh, somebody so. posted a meme about uh, real estate mm. and it was Michael Scott from the office. And it said, a friend asked me what it's like to be a real estate agent. So I started texting her for 20, every 20 seconds until she started to cry. Oh, yeah. I, think I, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought about you when I, when, I, um, when I read that. I was uh-huh. like, oh, this is her life too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, getting called at 2 a.m. And it's, yeah, it's part of the life that you choose. But, you know, there's obviously pros and cons too. At the end of the day, I think a lot of people don't see this as a career, but just as a calling. So speaking to the pros and the cons, what would you say are maybe three pros, three cons? Um, All right. Well, I'll start with the pros. I think, I mean, I can only speak from personal experience. I'm not saying this is the pros for everybody, but... um, at the, while you have a schedule that's incredibly unpredictable, you still have a lot of time that you can, I always try and compare it to, like if you had to be, again, my experience, if you had to be a nurse midwife, you're in L&D, you're on call for 12 hours straight, whether someone comes in and have a, has a baby or not, you're there, right? Whereas like for me, I'm on call, but I'm not stuck in a facility. I'm at home until I get called. So I get to tend to my garden, I get to cook meals, I get to you know, socialize, I'm just always on high alert to be like, hey, I could get called in at any time. So, I mean, I guess that's both a pro and a con, but it's more so a pro for me to know that I can go about my day as long as I, you know, you just, you have that high alert setting that's kind of programmed into you is that, hey, I'm going to go on a hike. Is there a cell service? How quickly can I get out? Is there bound to be a fire in the canyon? And I 
I'm stuck, you know, it's just like <laughs> thinking about things like that. But at the same time, I get to go about my day. And if no one calls, then no one calls. Then I had a day. I wasn't stuck in an L&D ward. It's probably a little bit more stressful than if you just get to be like, hey, I'm going in <laughs> to L&D and I'm going to be there for 12 hours. So it's not very stressful that I'm just going to be there. Right. But right. Right. I'm a bit more of a free spirit. So it feels good to know I can just go about my day, spend my day with 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 people that I love and if I get called in then I get called in it is what it is another pro is definitely something that I think I probably don't think about enough is the fact that I get to see something that most of the population never really get to see like being able to see a baby being born it's different every time I mean birth is the same but it's a different experience every time and being able to be in that intimate setting with somebody in their most vulnerable experience being able to guide them and be there for them and hold that space for them is something that no one ever you know very few people ever get to see a baby being born i'll have to think about more pros i mean there are obviously but on that those are probably my two biggest pros up there and then what and i think it's a wait i'll say it's a pretty great skill to have when the apocalypse happens yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know we always joke and be like oh keep the expired lidocaine you don't know what it'll do to the zombies so (laughs) just keep the expired lidocaine you know i had a friend that was a labor and delivery nurse Mm -hmm. and that's what you're meaning labor and delivery when you're saying l and d Mm -hmm. um a friend of mine was a labor and delivery nurse so she would be there you know on call during her hours in Naples, Florida, where we had hurricanes, mm. hurricane season every mm-hmm. year. And when a hurricane was coming in, mm-hmm. that she barometric knows. pressure, mm-hmm. she's like, yep, we're going to have lots of babies born, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sure enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that that's probably more a prediction than the full moon ever is. People are always going on about the full moon, but the storms are much bigger. Definitely seen a lot more babies with storms, even with horses. Pushes a baby. Yeah, and bringing that up. Mm. So tell us about your previous profession. So before I became a human midwife, I was a horse midwife. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and people are like, what? Don't horses just do it by themselves? They do, unless they're thoroughbreds that's being bred for a lot of money for a specific goal. Then they pay people a lot of money to be there and make sure that things go well. But thoroughbreds are also really just not great birthers. They've been bred to such a pedigree that they're just not great at it. So they actually need actually need some assistance. Um, but for a lot of the times, um, they just don't let them do their own thing because it's you know first breath is five hundred thousand dollars like if if you if anything happens if the cord gets severed if she steps on baby if the bag doesn't come off and he suffocates if he doesn't come out if he doesn't engage right and you know he's malpositioned and he suffocates then it's a lot of money that they lose i was a prenatal dietitian and then knowing that i wanted to go into obstetrics and i was i just had years of traveling and within that traveling, I ended up in Lexington, Kentucky, and one of my friends had a breeding farm. And I kind of just got involved, and I was like, oh, I have never thought about – I've always been a horse girl, never thought about horse – and I actually competed for a stud. You know, he, we b- did breed, but I just didn't put the two and two together until I was like, oh, this is pretty cool, you know? Like, Anyway, so from there, I went on to New Zealand and did a season in New Zealand, learned a lot. Yeah, it was like anything from one to four babies a night. I remember nights where I had to jump from the one paddock over the fence to the other one, just like between two mares giving birth at the same time. It was a pretty stressful job. Um, There's obviously a lot of help getting the baby out too, you know, making sure they don't bleed to death from their cord, um, doing antibiotics, giving enemas, doing oxygen. It's, It's a pretty 
It was a pretty interesting job. Wow. In some ways, it sounds like it'd be more stressful than dealing with people. I would say, yeah. I'd say just because you're outside, which was lovely, you're under the stars, but it's cold and it's stressful because you you could be, you could miss something and someone's going to be really mad at you because it's a million dollar horse that that just didn't survive. I've always wanted to be a midwife, but... And I guess this is mostly what the story is about today. But the the road to getting exactly where I wanted to get to was not a straightforward road. You know, I was born in South Africa and that passport is worth absolutely nothing to the rest of the world. <laughs> so even though I have, you know, I my parents live in South Korea. But for me to, to really be in any other country long term other than South Africa is incredibly hard with the passport that I have. So I probably, in 2016 is when I first moved to California and it was one of those things I just packed a backpack and left and went to California, figured things out as I went. And that's where I realized, oh, wait, midwifery is a thing. You know, I was also like, oh, this, I thought this was a medieval thing that just, I was like, oh, it still exists, you know. Oh, you're you're on the rebel spirit. Yeah. (laughs) You're free spirit. I was like, oh, this sounds like something I want to (laughs) do. Um, Most other countries have nurse midwives, right? So America is one of the only places that you have autonomous midwifery because they were separating out of hospital and hospital births in America so much, whereas in other countries, it's just part of the healthcare. It's in hospital, out of hospital, it's all the same thing. So yeah, my understanding was just always that you have to go through nursing and be a nurse to be able to end up in labor and delivery. And I just never wanted to be a nurse. I'm way too rebellious to be a nurse. So <laughs> it just never clicked with me, even though I looked at all the programs and I was like, ah, this is what I want to do, but ah, it just never felt right. Then I moved to America and I was like, wait, what? You can become an autonomous provider without being a nurse? Fantastic. How do I do that? And then I was like, all right, well, how do I do that? In America, you have two options to become what's called a certified professional midwife. So those are the two. You have a nurse midwife and you have a certified professional midwife. So to become a certified professional midwife, you can go through a bachelor's degree or you can go through what's called the portfolio, the PEP program. And what that basically means is that it's the backbone that you have to get done. It's the portfolio that you have to build to be able to sit the national board exam. So you can do the portfolio program and that's kind of up to you because you have to practice under a midwife. So again, your experience and your skill is going to be very much dependent on who you're learning from at the end of the day, which I think, you know, there's things to be said about that. Um, But if you found a really good midwife to practice under, then you're, you're, you can do this as quick as you want, depending, because you have to, you have to sign off all these things. It's like, you have to go to so many births, so many prenatals, so many newborn exams, so many blah, blah, blah. There's a number on everything. And then there's a whole skills book that you need to get done, you know, like your suturing and your IVs and your catheterizations and your, you know, blood draws and all of this, all of this stuff that you have to have knowledge on and be able to provide the skill. And then all of that stuff gets signed off for you. And once all of that is signed off, um, you can then send it into the board and they will decide if you can set the exam and then you can set the exam. So Utah is one of the, I'd say one of the states that give you the most um, scope in terms of midwifery. It took me three years to be like, all right, how do I get into America? <laughs> how do oh, I how oh, do gee. I get to stay in America? How What do I do? 
Um, how, how do I finance all of this? Because, I mean, America doesn't give financial aid to anyone who's not American. So you got to just do it somehow, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unless you have really rich parents and they just send you over there with all the money you need. You got to find some loopholes. And this so, is something I think that I admire in you greatly is this idea that when you decide you want to do something, <laughs> you take the next step mm. and you, you're always looking at your options but you're taking the next step, just trusting that things will mm-hmm. kind of work out. Yeah, and it's probably one thing my parents tell me every year on my birthday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've never known anyone as tenacious as you. <laughs> when you want something, you find the strategy to get there. I sort of left home at 14, and it, it's one of those skills you learn. It's like, what do I want? How do I get there? And through my years of traveling, I have learned that over and over again. Like, There's nothing that is not available to you. You just need to be creative. You need to be creative. You need to think outside of the box. And you need to be humble. (laughs) Humble yourself. Do what you need to do. And you'll get there. You'll look back at it and be like, oh, wow, how I did not think this was possible. And this is really one of those things. And I still look at the future and I'm like, I have I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I just I but I've had enough experience of being on this road to be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's going to, you're going to, you're going to do it. Somehow you're going to, it's going to get there, you know. So the loophole that I found as a (laughs) non-American, for all the non-Americans out there, (laughs) is that. And for all the Americans that take so much for for granted granted that you are American. I know. I know. They call it white privilege. I just call it American privilege. (laughs) It doesn't matter what color you are. You've got privilege. So, um. Basically, I decided to do both of them at the same time because basically it came down to this one option I had. I had this one school that could sponsor me a student visa, the right student visa, because there are different student visas. And the right student visa, meaning like I still have the right to work on that visa, but it has to be in a certain profession, right? It has to be related to my bachelor's. So I had to do that if I wanted to work here as a midwife. But at the same time, if I just did the bachelor's, it would have taken me years to, you know, get to that. So in between, what am I going to do for work? How am I going to support myself? <laughs> like That just made no sense because I can, because the visa that they sponsor, I can only basically do, you know, medical things. So what medical things am I going to do if I'm not done with my bachelor's to make money during that bachelor's? It was just like, so I was like, all right, well, I'll get into the bachelor's to use the visa to be here. If my school listens to this, they know my loophole. But anyway, (laughs) they weren't. Um, Basically in the bachelor's to have the visa to be here. And then I also did the portfolio program and I was able to finish that within a year because I was, I was what I did 24 seven for an entire year. I, I just slept, ate, birthed, had coffee, had more coffee, slept, ate, birthed, (laughs) you know, it's just like sometimes there were three births in a day. You just get stuff done. Um, so I was able to finish my portfolio in a year, write my exam and get my license. I was able to start practicing even though I wasn't done with my bachelor's. So that was my loophole to be like, all right, this is how I can make money and get myself through the rest of my bachelor's without having to, you know, move countries every year like yeah. I had been. Seeing I had did all the horse midwifery to be able to save up, you know, being in America for a, a year as a student with no financial aid. <laughs> Wow. It was America is really not an easy. It's a very hostile environment to people who are not American. So let's go back to you mentioned that you left home when you were 14. Mm-hmm. And so you're born in South Africa. Tell me, tell me your story. And uh, and keep in mind, you know, like I've quoted at the beginning of this podcast in general, but the quote 
from Winston Churchill that says, success isn't final, failure isn't fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts. Mm -hmm. And so highlighting all those things on your journey, where you're from, give us your backstory. Mm -hmm. I was born in South Africa, raised in South Africa until I was about 12. Um, South Africa is a very brutal place to live now, more so than it was even back then. But just economy-wise, it was it's just been down, it's going downhill really quickly. So my parents are big travelers too. They've always been very adventurous and spontaneous in a way. Um, again, not easy to get into another country on a South African passport. There really isn't much opportunity for you if you don't have a ton of money. So one of the places that was the easiest to get residency in while working is South Korea, at least to South Africans. So my parents moved over there when I was, I think, 13. Um, I remember because I had a big accident the month before I got kicked in the face by a horse <laughs> and I had to have reconstructive surgery on the one side. And the month later, I was still very swollen and I was on an airplane moving to a foreign country. Which I'll add, you're gorgeous. You would never know. She's shown me the scars that in your yeah in your mouth that they, like all the reconstruction. It's incredible what Thanks. doctors can do. Again, yeah. back to the the pros of modern medicine too. Yeah, yeah. When it's it's yeah, it's pretty beneficial when you need it. Yeah, I was twelve at the time too, so I didn't even know how they could predict how I was going to look at thirty three. But yeah, so moved to Korea when I was thirteen, foreign country. I think it was just a lot for me at the time. And I was also just going through some teenage years of rebelliousness and fighting with my dad. And we had had a bit of a rocky relationship starting with my teenage years. And we were in a, a small apartment and I didn't have my routine of my horse riding. I was competitively horse riding at the time. And I didn't have that routine. I didn't have my friends. I was just, I think I was just overwhelmed by things. And I was like, this is not what I want. And then the proposition came up of like, well, okay, well, do you want to go back to South Africa? You know, and I'm like, I don't even remember having that. I have no recollection of having that conversation or of me actually actively making a choice. It was almost just like, this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing. As if something just took over and I was like, no, this is what I'm doing. No one can stand in my way. And if I think about it now, I don't, ever remember the conversation of like, hey, do you want to go back? You know, you'll have to take a flight across the entire world by yourself at 13. Um, you've never done that. You're going to get there. And then none of your family, like my gran was there, but it's like, you're not going to have your family there. Like, I don't remember thinking about any of this stuff. I was just like, <laughs> yep, here we go. I don't even remember packing. I just... It was like this fight or flight just took over that I now in retrospect I'm able to see. Yeah. But this fight or flight took over and I just like did the next thing. I don't remember anything until we moved, until we drove into that parking lot where the bus was leaving for the airport. I remember sitting on that bus and that bus reversing and I something in me, I remember that so clearly. Like, what am I doing? My parents were just out the side waving and I'm like, what? How did I get Hold here? On. What am I Hold doing? Up. I don't even remember packing. And I was like, okay, well, I, the bus has left. Here we go. And then I get to the airport and that was the very first thing where I had to just figure shit out because I, because in Korea you get an alien registration card, which shows when you came in, how long you can stay or who you are. It's like your 
you know, like to show your residency there. Somehow I lost that on the way and I was just stuck in the airport without my identity and they were having such a hissy fit about it. And I don't even remember how I resolved it. I have no idea because Korea is a very strict country when it comes to rules. It's like, hey, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter if this rule doesn't make sense. You better do it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. There's, there's no in or out about it. Somehow I finangled myself around that and I still got on the airplane and I was on my way home. And then I got home and I just, I don't know, I just figured it out. You know, I had very supportive people back at home. I was living with my horse riding instructor, whom I love very much. She was like family. And then my grandparents were there. But at the end of the day, I don't know, I just, I guess I just, I just did it. And then... I finished high school and university in South Africa. I did go back for a couple of months every year, but I kind of always just had this mentality of like, yeah, I'll do what I want. Like, if you don't want to give it to me at the end of the day, then fine, but I'm going to do what I want. And that's kind of been the thing that I think has gotten me through. Like the biggest mentality that's brought me to this day is just that I'm going to do what I want because I, I see this thing, I'm going to get it. don't know how I'm going to get there, I'm going to do it. Um, but I'll do it my way. And if I don't get it at the end of the day, then I have to learn the humbleness to be like, all right, well, I didn't follow all the rules, so I can't really expect to get everything I want, but I'm at least going to, I'm at least, I'm going to go for it. You know, that's, I think that's the best way. Cause that's how I, that's how I see that first experience of me leaving home. Like I say, it was just the first thing I remember is being on the bus and like backing away and being like, oh, oh, what, <laughs> what am I thinking? But then, you know, the next thought is just like, well, you're doing it, so get through it. Just do it. Yeah. Do what you need to do. Get yourself on that side, and then you can reassess things again, you know? So that's the first memory I have of just that mentality of, like, just do, just do it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to die, and then you don't need to pay your bills anymore? You have packed so much life into, into such a few mm -hmm. short years. I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes and not all of them were by choice. You know, I reflect back on them and I'm like, oh, that was amazing that I got to experience that. But that experience came from from me needing to figure out what the next step was. Mm -hmm. I, can, you, can you give an example? Oh, working at the racetrack. <laughs> Moving to San Diego because I had a friend there and I was like, well, I had just gone through a really tough breakup um, at 27, I guess. At 27, I had only been in long-term relationships and this last one, that last one just really, really wrecked my world. And it took me forever to get over that. But also he left me with a house and all my stuff that I was like, I don't want to be around this anymore. So... I'm going to leave. So I gave everything to my parents. I, I was living in South Korea at the time. I should backtrack and be like, after university, I moved back to South Korea. <laughs> but I lived on an island. Um, then my parents moved down to my island from the mainland. So when all of that went down, I was like, hey, here's my house. Here's my car. Just take everything. I'm going to take a backpack and leave. So I think I had like 800 bucks. So yeah, I just moved to San Diego because um, I had a friend there. and I was With like, $800? With 800 bucks. And a backpack. And a backpack. I stayed with him for a month or two. Um, and then another friend of mine who had met back in Korea many years before, um, I I think I was living, but I was, I think I moved up to live with her for a while. And then when I was living with her, I met this jockey at um, the racetrack in Dalmar because it was the meet, the, the racing meet at that point in time. And she was like, oh, you're a horse girl? You should come work at the racetrack. 
And I was like, okay. So like there were a couple of years in my life that I was just a yes man. I just like submitted to the next thing. And it really got me to who I am today because I had to just be and go into like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I have no idea where this is going. I have no idea what this is going to offer me if it's, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to just, I'm going to ride this wave and just be what it needs me to be right now. You know, so I started working at the racetrack, insane life for like, you know, maybe a year before I moved to Lexington, Kentucky. I was living up in LA, working at the Santa Anita racetrack. I really wanted to ride, um, but I had this friend come up to me. He's like, no, I really want you to be a jockey agent. I'm like, what is a jockey agent? He's like, well, it's a sport agent. And like, you know, people at the racetrack are going to love you because you're a woman. Because it's kind of a man's world. You don't do that as a woman. So he, he sort of trained me into this. <laughs> he sort of trained me into this thing. And I just, I just had, like, if I think about it now, it's such a surreal life, you know, living that, that time at the racetrack with the jockeys and the parties and the, and, and just like the, just the clientele I had and meeting people that I was like, what, you know, such a surreal life. Um, and then moving to Lexington and then starting a new, completely new life in New Zealand, then starting a completely new life in New Zealand um, being a horse midwife, you know, just so, so different. You know, you're going from like this high end Santa Anita racetrack, Breeders' Cup, Del Mar stuff to being an isolated midwife under the stars, <laughs> delivering <laughs> horse baby. With you talking about just riding things and just not knowing where things were going to go, but just moving with it. Saying yes. Or, yeah. Saying yes mm. to the experience. You know, I think that the emotional maturity that comes, I think is significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's been a lot of life experience and life lessons in that constant movement. Six years of Leave. I was moving countries every six to eight months. What's the reason that you moved so often? Well, it's a combination of, it's very, it's, I mean, I have very limited options in terms of my passport, you know, of what I can and cannot do in countries where I can get, where I can get in, what jobs I can do um, and all of that. So I had to really strategize very well. New Zealand and Australia would have been a lot easier for me to get residency if I really wanted it. The problem was just I wasn't doing exactly the thing that I wanted to be doing full term, long term. So again, I had to come to that place of like, yeah, do I love this country? Do I, could I probably settle here? Yes. Am I doing everything that I want to be doing? No. How do I get there? But just the visas in between and the traveling and starting a new life every time. If I think back at it now, I'm like, wow, just that motion, that constant motion for six years straight. Because there's a lot of fight or flight that goes with that too. You know, to being like, hey, I can be here for another, you know, how long's my visa? Even in, when I was here in America for the first time, I was like, well, how long was my visa? How long can I stay? What do I do next? Where do I go? Where do I go? Oh, what are my options? Okay, th this one, this one fits into like the goals that I have. How do I get to do that? Okay, what do I need to get that visa? How much money do I need to actually make that move? When I get there, where do I stay? Um, what do I... Just that logistics that that you're constantly like planning the next step mm -hmm. is it's a lot. So a big part of why I chose to be a midwife in Utah, some doors opened for me, but also it was an opportunity to just be in one place, mm -hmm. even if it's just five years, you know, yeah. like it's I just needed I just needed to be stationary for a little bit. So that's a big thing. Like people look at your life and they're like, oh, wow, you've lived in how many countries? In how long? 
and and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's great. I'm very, very, very grateful for what, for the path that life has given me. But at the same time, you also have to remember that there is a lot of stress behind that. Like it's yeah. not like if you have a ton of money and you can just, that's fine. But I, I was always providing for myself. Like I didn't have a ton of money. I just made it work. I don't know. Like you don't need that much in life. You know, and I yeah. think that's kind of what, that's a lot of what those years taught me is like, hey, you can, you don't need that much. You really don't need that much. You can live pretty, pretty well in yeah. this moment because this moment doesn't cost you much. So with all of it, when you look at your life and everything you've learned and where you've been, and if you were to write a message into the stars for someone that's in the shoes you were in 20 years ago, what mm -hmm. would you say? Well, I'll describe the shoes first so that you know what shoes you're in. My option is always, well, going back to South Africa, because that's where I have my residency and that's where I have all, you know, you can do whatever you want because you're a resident there compared to making it work in other countries where you have a lot of restrictions because you're not a resident there and it's really difficult to become a resident there. Unless you marry someone, it's still difficult. So I think honestly the biggest thing that I've that I have to contribute to that is just you've got to be creative and you've got to you always have you always have a way to get to where you want to be. Always. There's never something that's not accessible to you. I'm not putting a time frame on it you know, that could take you your whole life. It doesn't, you, you need to, my biggest, I think my biggest learning experience is that use what you have available to you right now, especially if it's free resources that you have right now. How can you make that work for you to be able to guide you to that next thing? Let's say you want to get from A to F. You might not have F available to you right now, but there's a couple of letters that are definitely available to you and they might be a bit scrambled, but you're going to get to F if, you just, if you're just creative on how to scramble those letters. Like you've got to get creative. You've got to be able to humble yourself and be like, all right, this is not exactly what I want, but I can see where I want to go. You know, because even like years ago, I was thinking like, oh my word, what I would give to just have a simple, normal, ordinary life in America. What I would give. You know, and now I'm here and I'm like, hey, look at this. I just have a normal daily life. I'm just a normal person in America. <laughs> here you are. You know. Welcome. And I'm so glad you came. <laughs> but it's like you think, but you look back at things. And like my challenges have been, they have been way bigger than I think I even thought that they were at the time. Because like, again, you just go into that fight or fight and you're just like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm not. And that's a big thing about this, the way that I've done things that I'm just saying how I did it. And my brothers are very different. They're very, very calculated about like, I want to get from A to F. How much is it going to cost me to get to F? What do I need to get to F? I want to get all of that accumulated at A so I have the assurance right through all the other letters until I get to F. I've never been that responsible. I'm like, I want to get to F. Here we go. Here's B. Just hang on to B. Just let us see where it swings me, swings me, swings me. Okay. Oh, there's, there, there, there's C. I can Launching see C. C. Just, just do it. How am I going to, how am I going to get to that? I have no idea. No, I, I have no strategy in terms of like how I'm going to get to the next thing I'm just doing this thing right now I'm doing this thing right now that's all I can see and then I'll see where how eventually I'm going to just be creative just be creative I love it creative. where do you want to go oh that's a good question I mean truly I would 
I mean, this this seems futile if you say it to an American, but really residency would be amazing because then I don't have the restrictions that I have right now in terms of what job I can do, how many hours a week I can work. Everything, everything I do is regulated by immigration right now. Everything has to, every decision I make in terms of, you know, finances, all of that goes through immigration right now um, as a non-American. So yeah, well, I would really like that security of just being able to live and and again it's not all about my career my 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 skills and my knowledge have gotten me to the opportunities where i am now but it's not to say that that is my be all and end all of who i truly where i want to end up as a human being you yeah, know yeah. i just i just want to exist like a normal person <laughs> not feel like you have to be in yeah. constant motion feeling like i have to think two years ahead all the yeah. time to be like hey if this visa comes to an end where can you go next what doors need to be opened what do you need to do today to open those doors in two years from now just not having to think like that would be phenomenal oh yeah yeah but we take for granted just being able to think oh i can just stay put mm -hmm. yeah yeah there are some days where i'm like man i just want to work at sprouts that would be such that would just be an easy life i just want to go work <laughs> at sprouts but oh no immigration says you can't work at sprouts you need to be in the medical field i'm like okay fine that's i guess this is where i am but yeah, that yeah, you just don't have that freedom of living the way you would if you're in your home country. Wow, so. something to definitely think about. So do you have a mindfulness practice that you implement regularly? Well, I don't know if, that, if it's a thing that exists, but I feel like I went through a couple of years where I had to break myself down or allow myself to be broken down to such a point of introspection and awareness that I came out pretty grounded. I had to go through so much growth Mm -hmm. and um a lot of choices you know like do i really want to live this life do i really want to be here it's really hard <laughs> do i want to keep doing this because mm -hmm. as you know you get born and you're like well i didn't have a choice i didn't no one asked me if i wanted to be here and that was my <laughs> biggest thing as a as a as a um as a teenager i was like no one asked me if i wanted to be here why <laughs> why 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 this, this, and you're trying to tell me how it has to be done. Yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't want to be here. But then life really gets you to that point of like, well, do you want to be here? You get to choose right now. Do you want to be here? You want to you wanna go? And it's like remaking that decision was took a couple of years for me, you know, probably all the way from 27 to 30 were my years of re-deciding like, man, is this worth it? Like, is this really worth it? And interestingly enough, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but interestingly enough, there were a few years that was it was rough like this the fight or flight was r rough not in the moment because I couldn't see it but looking at it retrospectively right now like there were many conversations I mean this is pretty dark but I'm pretty dark but, like there were many conversations that I would go in with people and be like yeah so what then I die what's what's so bad about dying you know and it is like I'm not afraid of death like yeah. I I if I if I fear something I try and go for it head on because I, I my mission in life is not to fear anything I want to be because that's a big part of vulnerability you know and that, that I've always surrendering and vulnerability has always been probably my biggest aims as a human being because truly being able to experience everything that life has to offer to you is only going to happen at the bottom of the well like when you're nothing you're gonna be the most absorbent to every experience so i have a tattoo that says surrender and interestingly enough that i think i got that at 25 which kind of just set everything in motion from there on because then life was like oh really 
Oh, this is what you want? Interesting. <laughs> Let me show you. Let me show you watch. how it's done. Watch, watch, watch this. You know, and so, yeah, just now looking back at that, when I when I'd speak to people and be like, oh, so what? Then I die. You know, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't give a damn. And then now, like my years after 30, when I really got to a point where I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to be very intentional with every decision I make. I, I know what's available to me. I know where I can get. I know that if I, if I do this and stop making myself a victim of anything else, like there's a lot of victory at the end of this day. And, I, and now if I think about it, I'm like, oh, no, I don't. Yeah, maybe I'll die, but I don't want to die yet. Like, I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just that difference to me is so bizarre. My nervous system had to very much calm down and be in a place where I can experience love and connection and you know yeah just letting that those walls down now I'm like oh this is what life can be yeah this has gone I've gone through so many years of like fight or flight and then getting settled for a little bit fight or flight and then getting settled for a little bit and so mindfulness to me I don't know that I have a mindfulness practice other than just reflecting on my life because <laughs> yeah. all of it has made me into this person that I am right now that I really I really enjoy who I am and the things that I can endure and the, the perspective that I have at this age really brings a lot of peace to me to be like hey you can you you know you know how to get yourself through this you know, and you don't have to do it being a, a warrior and a, you don't have to battle through this. You can really just sit with this. And that's, I think, my biggest mindful. Okay, now I guess we're getting down to, yeah. <laughs> I found the answer. I found the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Is that I, I have very much learned that we're conditioned to run away from the things that don't feel good. You know, and I've been definitely enabling that within myself with the fight or flight. And and again, like I say, that's been very beneficial when I wanted to get somewhere. I could do it. I can get there. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you have to move away from everything that's uncomfortable. And that's what we do as humans automatically. And it also gets conditioned into us very much so is that if something's unacceptable if something is painful if something's uncomfortable you've got to go to therapy you've got to do this that you've got to get away from it mm -hmm. and the biggest thing I've learned is like or I can just sit with it because I it's not going to kill me I can just sit with it yeah. you know and it's like it's been a it's been one of my biggest expansions I feel it's just being able to be like whoa that sucks <laughs> I uh, I'm going to go the other way and then I'm like mm, uh, no, the other way looks like a lot of effort. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and let it destroy me for a couple of days. And then I'm going to carry on, you know, yeah. just letting. That's very grounding to know that you don't have to put your nervous system into that place of like, mm, get got to get away from this, got to get away from this, got to get away from this. You're just like, no, I don't know. I'm I just, can sit with it. Yeah. It's, does it feel good? No. Is it fine? Yeah. <laughs> You know, so it, you're making me think of the book. It's it's Tara Brock's book, mm. Radical Acceptance. Mm -hmm. And oh, I love that book, mm -hmm. you know, but her, it's that willingness to confront and mm -hmm. experience the things that are right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And ironically, when I think of you and just what I know about you and the short time that we've been friends is just, mm. you're so full of life and adventure mm. and you are so very aware and mindful. Mm -hmm. It's like the slowing down. It's just mm. this combination has provided you 
of this well of information about yourself mm-hmm. and a willingness to just watch and be with others as mm. well. Yeah, I think it's a big part of it is just being in observation mode instead of being in reaction mode. That has really gotten me to a lot of the things that I truly appreciate in my life is being able to step out of that reaction mode and feeling so self-righteous and feeling like I deserve everything and I deserve to feel good all the time and I, you know, I have the right to this and this and just being like, I'm nothing, I'm no one. What does it even matter? You know, like if I just sit with this, then it's going to go. It's going to go. It's just this feeling. You know, there's just chemicals in my body. It's just none of it's really real at the end of the day. None <laughs> of it's real? real. What is real? I know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel – and it's interesting how the people in your life usually mirror who you are. You know, that's been one of my biggest things probably in relationships. What I've learned is that watch that person that you're attracting because it'll show you a lot of where you are with yourself. You know, there's – I can think of the last two men before the man that I have in my life right now. The last two men that I that I had, I was very, I loved them so much, so 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 much, and I had, I mean, just looking, being able to to be like, oh, why did those relationships not work out? Into instead of being like, well, they're you know, they're this and this and this and this. I I really looked at it like, well. I'm going to step away from it because it's not, it doesn't feel good. But also what is it reflecting in me that I can improve so I can attract something better? So I can, you know, be in, be in the milieu of something different. And I, it's, it's worked out pretty well. I feel like I have a pretty (laughs) grounded man in my life right now that I'm very appreciative for. And, but it's just because I've also, you know, like, I, I make that a very, very big priority in my life is n- no drama, just, you know, no drama llama, as the meme <laughs> say. I, I, I had my years of constant fight or flight and just going and, and just being able to step out of that. And the only way you, you stay out of it is being able to just sit and being like, whoa, this is uncomfortable, man. This is, I don't think this is supposed to feel this way. But then you just sit with it and... In two days, you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, I It's did. gone. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know, something you said about liking yourself mm. made me think of the song I just played for you, When Man Can Change the World, when they, it says, just know, and I might not be saying this line exactly right, but just know that if you love yourself, you'll never be alone. Mm. And mm. I feel like that, like that emanates from you too. It's just this deep respect for yourself. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah. yeah, it's it's very. I think you know, there's a lot of cliche things that can be said about it. But if you've if you've thrown yourself into the arms of the unknown, and you've gotten through that, and you keep going through it, you kind of just build that confidence of like, you know what? At the end of the day, none of it is as big as I think. It is. And it's funny you mentioned Tara Brock because she was a mentor for me throughout some of my years. Like she was the only person I was listening to. And then I started listening to, what is her name, Abraham Hicks, you know, some people who mm-hmm. just – And I haven't actually – like I, I pull her up when I need her, but like she's installed so many like just principles for me that I now just – my dysfunction on those principles. And it was the same with Tara Brock. It's just that mindfulness of like just accepting. Acceptance is so big. If you can just accept something – that you've you've overcome most of the struggle 
you know, the resistance is where the un- where the discomfort is, is the resistance. And just being able to surrender, <laughs> you let go of a lot of that discomfort and just being like, hey, well, who do I think I am anyway? Like, just, just let go. Let go. <laughs> just lie down flat. <laughs> it's easy to breathe there. It's easy to fall asleep, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> be, it. be the carpet, be the rug, whatever. You're not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Do you have any books that you recommend? Oh, I probably do. Can I think about them now? Yes. Um, wow, I went through some really intense years. If I recall those books right now, they'll be sound very hippie. They are very hippie. I remember one that I really appreciate was the heart of the heart of the soul, uh, which was really good. Um, in terms of, I really enjoyed Eastern Body, Western Mind, or Western Body, Eastern Mind. I can never really remember, but it's just like you know, how your programming is installed in your behavior and how, you know, overactive or underactive be, that basically goes down the chakra systems and how they're programmed um, at certain times of your life and certain behaviors that are indicative of overstimulation and understimulation. Um, I think that gave me some insight. Do I, I I know I have more books that I love. Um, I can't really think of them right now. But those are two that were were pretty good. I mean, what's like The Alchemist? Oh, I've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, here we go. The Alchemist and The Four Agreements. Uh-huh, that's the four, a good one. Mm-hmm, the Four Agreements was, you know, over it. It's so simple. It's so simple. But at the end of the day, it's it's just what do you need in life <laughs> other than simple? Um, yeah, I think those are good books. But then... You probably want to ask me about a song, and I think yeah. my biggest song. I can think. I can think of a few sunsets that I watched. I can think of many sunsets that I watched in different countries and different places, listening to Xavier Rudd, "Follow the Sun." Mm-hmm. It's probably like my life song. It's just <laughs> following the sun. They where the birds are happy and they were lovers. Just keep following that. It's really, just. Keep going for the thing that stimulate the the thing that feels good, you know. Yeah. Like if it doesn't feel good, sit with it. But it's not going to not feel good forever. Yeah. Ultimately, there's something that feels good. So yes. go for that. Keep following that. And then there's a very beautiful phrase in there that says that when things get really tumultuous, just get closer to the water's edge. Remember your place in this world. You're very small. <laughs> your your issues really don't matter. It's really not a big issue. Like you're being very solipsistic by thinking that everything is about you all the time. Um, things will pass. And then there's also something in there that he says, like many moons have come and gone before you. Just remember this world has existed for a long time before you've been here and somehow it's still going so it doesn't need you just you know get your stuff together yeah there's a place for you just just find 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 where you belong oh i love you so check out that song you Mm -hmm. shared it with me a while ago but check Mm -hmm. that out yeah xavier rudd follow the sun yeah it's already i already put it on the ruthie podcast playlist oh nice check it out on spotify (laughs) (laughs) nice thank you so anything else that you'd like to say? Um, yeah. So I think it's it kind of goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier of like getting from A to F, but making sure that you're loving the thing that you're doing right now. 
because there's often they, you know, you're you're in those conversations sometimes with people where it's like, oh, I hate what I do right now, but it's okay. I'm not going to do this forever. You know, there's a goal. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this and this and this thing. And uh, look, you can have different philosophies. There's a million philosophies out there, and you can you choose to follow the one that you want to follow. I follow the philosophy that is you create more of what you are already cultivating. So if you if you are loving what you're doing right now, to whatever extent, as long as you're not hating it, you can only create more of that, right? So it's going to automatically lead to the next thing that you love. And then that, if you love that thing, it's going to lead you to the next thing that you love. Whereas if you're hating what you're doing right now, it can, if you, you know, it can probably only lead you to another thing that you hate. <laughs> yeah. In my experience, but... Yeah, that's been pretty important to me. And that's one of those things why, you know, New Zealand was great. And I look back at it and I'm like, man, I had such a good life in New Zealand. Why didn't I just stay? Why didn't I just make it work there? And um, But really the answer was like, it wasn't everything I wanted. I wasn't, I wasn't happy on the level that I needed to be. I didn't have everything that I wanted. And I was willing to just keep going mm-hmm. until I accumulated more of what made me happy because I knew that the more I follow the thing that I love the more doors are going to open to more things that I love so yeah don't don't like they say if you're not happy move because you're not a tree (laughs) (laughs) trees are kind of (laughs) stuck they 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 get what they get but you have legs just you know (laughs) move (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much, Yolo. I love yeah. you so much. I'm glad we got to do this six months after you asked me. <laughs> we kept saying, oh, let's go hike. We'll do that later. Let's go to the gym. Well, I was, we'll just, I was just afraid that, you know, the only reason you want to be friends with me is to do the podcast. So once we do it, then we won't be friends anymore. We'll, let, we'll see how tomorrow is. <laughs> you want to hike? <laughs> Are you going to be at a birth? Probably. <laughs> I'll let you know an hour before. <laughs> kind of like our plans for tonight. Yeah. Oh, I adore you. I love you too. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's my (laughs) pleasure for sure. Thank you for joining me today. Would you hit the subscribe button and follow along? And then would you please pause and leave a five-star review? I'd be extra grateful. It helps me tremendously. Also, would you please share this podcast with one person you know of that is looking to start a new career or looking for a side hustle or starting over? Also, you can follow me on Instagram at The Ruthie Podcast. I'll keep you posted there. Additionally, will you send me feedback? I'm at the grassroots of all of this and I can use your help. Specifically, I'm looking to know how long you'd like to see these episodes and what careers you'd like to learn about. You can send that feedback to me on Instagram or to my email at ruthie at the ruthiepodcast.com. That's R-U-T-H-I-E at the ruthiepodcast.com. And remember to check out the Ruthie Podcast playlist on Spotify. Now, go make today great explore experience then take it all on the inside and ask now what mm-hmm.